it's Chris Campbell with the Food Institute, and welcome back to the Food Institute podcast. We've got a great episode today with David Bishop of Brick Meets Click, and we're going to be digging into online grocery trends with an eye towards the future, too. But before we get started, I have a humble ask to make. Please follow, like, and share this episode on your social media platforms. We're growing here on the Food Institute podcast, and that's in large part due to our listeners. Make sure to subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and you can always find us at foodinstitute.com, too. So with that out of the way, let me introduce today's guest. David is a partner with Brick Meets Click, and he leads the organization's research, retailer benchmarking, and market forecasting programs. In addition, he works closely with grocers to develop and strengthen their online and omni-channel strategies. And that makes him the perfect guest for today's topic. So welcome aboard, David. How are you today? I'm doing great, Chris. How are you? I'm really excited to talk to you. I'm doing really well, and I'm really excited to talk about grocery delivery and also just online grocery e-commerce in general. Uh, I know there's already been a lot of developments in the space in 2022, just at the start of the year. Obviously, 2021 and 2020 also showed a bunch of growth in the sector. And I think we can talk about the delivery space, but what I really want to start with is grocery pickup, because when we first talked, I was very surprised for you to say that you know grocery pickup still represents the lion's share of you know online grocery commerce. So I think that's where we can start. And I was hoping you can kind of explain why consumers are turning to this option so often instead of you know the overhyped delivery market where you know just about every press item you see is about how delivery is growing like crazy, but we're still seeing that pickup seems to be king with consumers. So can you talk about that dynamic a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, first of all, I would kind of characterize it thematically as we're, we're operating in the land of the blind and we may be the one-eyed monster that's king for the day. Um, and that's because of, you know, the approach that we have to really understanding this, you know, evolving dynamic market. So, you know, at Brick Meets Click, when we look at uh, online grocery shopping, we look at it from the household perspective in terms of, you know, how they can shop online for groceries, where they can do that um, and, and what they're using it for. So when we look at online shopping, that includes not only pickup and grocery delivery services that, you know, people typically would associate with providers like a a Fresh Direct or a Peapod, but we also include that ship to home segment, which frankly has been around uh, far longer and are the things that we would have bought online that would have been put in a box or a package and then, you know, shipped to us via FedEx uh, or other common carriers or even more recently Amazon Flex. But you know, if we looked at the end of the year 2021 and looked at share of sales across the three methods of fulfilling or receiving online orders, um, the fact that uh, is that pickup generates around 40 to 43 percent of the sales, at least during that month. Put that in context before COVID, that was maybe around 32 percent. So, uh you know, we've had a 10 percentage point uh, jump over the last two years. It's fluctuated a little bit, but uh, it took the lead uh, really early in the pandemic and hasn't given it back, took the lead from ship to home. You know, at the same time, delivery now is roughly 37 percent of the online dollar sales up from about thir- uh, 25. So it's grown. It just hasn't grown uh, at necessarily at uh, the same pace Uh and so, you know, when we then look at the question is, you know, what's the value utility that we have with these different methods before COVID? Uh, main reason why someone shopped online was to to get that hard to find personal favorite. So rather than driving around town, hitting four or five stores, hoping to find that 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 item, it was just easier, quicker, frankly, to go online, order it from someone like a, an Amazon or a box or whomever and get it shipped to your home. When pandemic hit, you know, obviously we needed more than just our personal favorites. We needed the whole basket of goods and you can't really uh, ship, uh, you know, 
uh, frozen ice cream or uh, eggs uh, through the mail uh, without issues, obviously. So this is where delivery and pickup came in. And then when you had to choose between the two, there are different attributes that uh, appeal to different segments of the market uh, that draw them to one or the other. And we can talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I'd like to kind of dive into that a little bit, you know, between uh, grocery pickup consumer versus a grocery delivery consumer, like what kind of differences do you see in your research when you look at these consumers, you know, what's really driving this behavior? Yeah, so, you know, early in the the pandemic, it was um, a means of exercising, you know, social distancing principles, right, as opposed to um, potentially putting yourself in harm's way. Um, going into a store, loitering as you shop for 30 or 45 minutes, not knowing, you know, what you were being exposed to, you know, shopping online and receiving it via home delivery or pickup was a way to allay some of those concerns. Now, with that being said, uh, someone who uses grocery delivery uh, may value other aspects, which is one, the added value of it being delivered right to their doorstep. Um but that comes at a cost and a trade-off, which is one of the things that may actually drive someone to find pickup more appealing, which is, well, pickup costs less because we don't have to pay the same explicit fees, which includes tips and special charges, as well as that delivery uh, or pickup charge, which can add up. Um, but it also has aspects relative to the ability to improve the, or the control of that experience. You know, wait times at the store, while they may be around five minutes or north for some retailers, um, that's far better and far different than saying, well, I'm going to get an order at home and it's going to be delivered between, you know, three and four or three and five or three and six, because, you know, in theory, uh, you may potentially need to be around your house the whole time. Even though most retailers will be marketing you know, unattended delivery, the reality is, you know, if you have highly perishable items or age-restricted items, uh, you're going to need to be around. So we're seeing these type of trade-offs, and those trade-offs uh, are made differently depending on, you know, who the customer is and what their life stage is and what are their, you know, perceived concerns around COVID. So it's become a little more complex of a decision-making process because of COVID. Uh, but beyond that, you know, the fundamentals still are, are very consistent with what we saw before COVID. And another interesting thing I saw, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think in the December Brick Meets Click report, uh, you guys reported that some urban markets delivery overtook pickup for the first time. So I was wondering if we could talk about that a little bit. You know, is there like a demographic shift here where maybe in urban markets there is more of an opportunity for delivery in your mind compared to, you know, pickup in more you know, suburban rural areas? Do you think there's any crossover there? What's kind of driving that, you think? Yeah. So this is kind of, again, thematically where we step back and see the forest through the trees and recognize using our 3A's growth framework that looks at uh, elements of availability, attractiveness, and ultimately acceptability to help understand how markets develop and grow both at a macro level, a specific metro like a New York City, to a specific retailer and the services they offer. And what we saw and what we believe from a hypothesis standpoint, uh, which is something, again, we can validate through the data, is that um, delivery has uh, overtaken pickup in the large metro markets, uh, which is noteworthy because the lion's share of the U.S. population sits in those large metro markets, about 60 percent, actually. 
um, one of the factors that is contributing to that um, first time overtake of delivery versus pickup is the fact that we now have an expansion or a broader range of services that now are serving those large metro markets. So you could think about quick commerce or rapid delivery as one example. Um, when that comes in, that increased availability actually improves the attractiveness of shopping online. And it does so by appealing to potentially other parts of the market that are under delivered. So in the case of rapid delivery, the part of the market that it's exploiting um, because it's underdeveloped is um, the desire for more rapid delivery between the time I've placed an order and the time I receive it. So that's contributing to it. Uh, another factor that's contributing to the, the rises in those large metro markets, we're seeing more entry of, of new players, whether they're third party providers or simply more traditional brick and mortar retailers finally getting in the game. So those two factors combined are likely the main um, reasons why we've seen this um, this switch. Uh, and, and it's only happened for one month, so we wouldn't indicate that it's a trend yet. That remains to be seen based on really the level of acceptability that the confluence of all these new services will have on the customer experience. And I'd have to imagine, you know, the Omicron wave maybe influenced some, uh, you know, people that maybe didn't want to even go out for the pickup aspect, maybe getting stuff delivered, you know. So I agree that me, I have to probably take a look at it. But, you know, just your overall viewpoint, do you think it's something that could go in the future where people kind of stick with delivery in the cities? Or do you think it's something that's going to still have to kind of be hashed out over the next couple of months, two years to kind of see where it's going? Or do you think that's the trajectory? Yeah, well, I, I think if we're talking to and looking at conventional grocery data, um, their data would uh, highlight or reinforce that delivery is definitely um, in more demand in those more populated markets. But that may be also a function of the services that they currently offer. Um, with that being said, the broader market, we are, are seeing uh, retailers try other services. I mean, ultimately it comes down to acceptability and the acceptability we frame up is um, how does this compare versus the alternative way of shopping? So in some cases, the alternative way is shopping in the store, but in other cases for a consumer, it may be uh, framed up by the alternative of using pickup. So there are aspects of the delivery service that can be improved around cost and control. And if those are improved in ways that are consistent with what consumers or customers value, then we'll see probably, um, you know, traction um, strengthen for delivery. But at the same time, we're not in a static environment and, you know, retailers will also be working to improve their pickup operations. And that's going to be, again, a mitigating factor that kind of goes back and forth in terms of, you know, where are these services best or better meeting the needs of customers you know, in context to either shopping in the store or in regards to using the alternative service. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch how those two things kind of compete with each other. And especially since most companies will likely be offering both, right? So seeing how retailers kind of, uh, you know, react to each other over the next couple of years will definitely be fun well, to watch, right? Yeah. What's interesting is um, while we have two different initiatives out there, uh, we have the ongoing um, e-grocery shopper insights, which we've been doing since 2016, but on a monthly basis since March of 2020. And then we have our e-grocery performance benchmarking initiative, which we've also started back in 2016. 
um, but we do it on an annual basis. And that just came out. And what we saw to the point about most grocers offering these different services is if we looked at our sample of, of, of participating stores, we had roughly 950 stores across 45 grocery banners. And we were looking at transactional data uh, tied to non-personalized household information relative to shopping online. What we found was, you know, of the 950 stores, just under half offered their customers the ability to choose between pickup and delivery. Meaning, you know, if I shop store A, that store had the option for me to use delivery or pickup. You know, the other half um, split almost evenly between offering only delivery or only pickup. So on the conventional grocery side, uh, grocery space, there's still an opportunity to close the gap and better serve their customers by simply making both options available. That's actually really interesting to me and maybe kind of speaks to the third party aspect as well. So I'm assuming in that data, what you're saying here is that the supermarket banner itself is not offering a delivery service, but you know, a DoorDash, Grubhub, Uber Eats, Ship, those guys are probably still operating at these stores. Is that correct, that assumption? Yeah, in general, it is. Uh, we, we try to not make hasty generalizations, but it's mm-hmm. a fair characterization. Uh, I think what, you know, it's also important to note is the U.S. is described as a, a delivery first market. And what we mean by that simply is when grocers, you know, large and small went online and started to compete for those online dollars, the first way that they initially did it was primarily through offering a delivery service. And those delivery services in large part were Um, supported by your third-party providers like Instacart and Ship or more recently DoorDash and Uber Eats. Uh, And that's why uh, delivery has actually reached more uh, quickly full effective distribution or reach in the U.S. than pickup. The reality is most retailers, large and small, recognize only after getting online that it's necessary and, and vital to backfill with pickup. And so we have some large retailers who are continuing to still backfill uh, pickup into their stores. And as a result, um, you know, they're starting to see, you know, stronger forward growth simply by improving the availability and access to shopping both ways, which improves the attractiveness of their service. Okay. It's definitely an interesting way, you know, it's, it's not, I think what people actually probably would expect, you know, I think most people would expect that kind of dynamics already there that you could get both. So I guess what I would like to talk about a little bit now is, you know, we already brought up the DoorDash, Grubhub, Uber Eats angle. These guys were traditionally seen as food service delivery companies for, you know, most of their uh, time as a company, but looking at it now, and I know I did a report on this, so I know all three of them really really dip their toes into grocery delivery in the last year as well, really trying to build that part of their business. So now we have a really kind of crowded space, I think, when it comes to grocery delivery and the third parties. So I'm wondering, how is that impacting the market right now? Do you see companies trying to partner with them, white label services? Are they turning towards in-house delivery teams? Like, how are they contending with all these options or are they just bringing it in internally and kind of trying to handle it themselves? You know, it really depends on the level of sophistication of the retailer and the way they look at the business. If they look at a third party as a, a, a turnkey solution, which basically gives full control of the process to them, um, that's one path to go down. That's the path that most retailers up until recently have taken. Um, the other path, which is the one we would advise conventional grocers to go at, is step back and look at online 
but look at it as three distinct functions. We have uh, ordering, that's where we go to a website and we, we place our order. We have assembly, that's the, the pick, pack and stage activities. And then we have distribution, which is the, the, the transfer of the order from staging to the customer. That, that could take place curbside. It could take place via uh, transfer to a gig employee who's going to deliver it to the home, or it could be through a first party fleet. So when you look at it that way, uh, and take someone like an Albertsons, for instance, you know, Albertsons had a first party distribution network set up, which meant they they owned and operated or they operated their own fleet of vehicles and employed their own employees to execute the delivery. Um, they did that, but then um, receded from that strategy in favor of outsourcing or going into partnership with uh, DoorDash. So DoorDash, in essence, became a white label distributor partner or last mile provider for Albertsons, while also potentially expanding Albertsons to their marketplace. So there were some um, synergies and some opportunities there on both sides. So it's become a little more complicated or complex in terms of the choices that retailers need to make. I think right now the economics favor the uh, the white label third party uh, last mile simply because it's hard to economically justify uh, the cost internally versus the the outsourcing um, cost. The issue with that is it's not purely an economical uh, decision in that regard. The strategic decision needs to look at well how does that impact control and control in this case looks at product quality, which is the minute I transfer the order to a gig employee, a gig worker, um, it's on them to maintain the chain of custody, the cold chain. And so they're going to put it in their back seat or put it in their trunk. You know, these are not three temp zone professional vehicles. These people may be doing their best, but they're not necessarily um, given um, by the companies uh, dry ice or insulated bags. And even if companies do use that, it, it isn't necessarily the same as if you were using a first party delivery fleet, which is where we're now starting to see some retailers like Kroger and Walmart start to actually go back to an experiment with your first party distribution services as a way to improve the control uh, and deliver higher quality and service. And in turn, that it may in effect lower the cost. So um, we're still in this kind of uh, gray area. Um, and again, um, legislation and regulation of that uh, gig economy workforce is also another large question mark that we're starting to see, you know, sh winds shift, uh, albeit at a slow rate. And that could accelerate any other changes back to first party uh, last mile services. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. You bring up the, you know, uncertain future of gig economy workers. I think just labor in general right now is really unpredictable. Uh, it's difficult to get workers at this point. So it's kind of interesting to see, I think, some of these companies making the, uh, you know, I would assume spend more to bring someone in-house, like you were saying, you know, these programs and paying more. But I think there's probably also an opportunity for a narrative there, too, about how they are, you know, kind of increasing the quality and that they have complete control over this from a marketing standpoint. So definitely an interesting thing to take a look at. At. And I know you already brought up the instant slash 15 minute, you know, that rapid delivery is probably the best category to give it. But how does that figure into all of this as well? Do you see this, you know, are grocers 
or should grocers be really concerned about this? Is this something that's more going to affect the convenience channel? How do you see this, you know, rapid delivery sphere kind of affecting, you know, food delivery going forward? Right. So I'll, I'll, I'll condition my response based on the perspective that we take. And the perspective that we start with is looking at it from that of a conventional grocer, someone who already has a physical brick and mortar uh, presence, has an established relationship within the community, and then looking at the use cases to determine whether it makes sense for a grocer to do this, whether it makes sense for a convenience store or uh, the opportunity for a new entrant uh, to come in, uh, that's not our vantage point. So with that being said, uh, what we see first of all is the use case that the rapid, that'd be the 15 to 20, is very similar to the use case in the physical world that would support emergent and, and urgent needs that generally are filled by either the convenience retail or drug channels. Um, where we see the easy in and out aspects of the small footprint um, helping improve the ability to get those quick trips completed, you know, quick trip being maybe two to five items. Um, so that's a different level set. I think on the other side, recognizing there is a prepared food component to it, um, it's, it's leaning a little bit more towards the fast casual segment as opposed to the QSR relative to the quality. So when we take those things in consideration, they're not necessarily uh, the bullseye for the conventional grocer. Um, the economics really run counter to the business model that the grocers have. Um, if you think about grocery delivery being the most expensive way to fulfill an online order from a cost of serve standpoint, uh, that's based on a certain um, base sales rate that in general for a conventional grocer is going to be between 120 and 150 dollars in the first party when you move to rapid delivery your sales base is going to average around 10 to 20 dollars so your your variable costs are going to be absorbed by a much smaller uh sales base which means the the contribution margins are going to be compressed com considerably so the economics don't support it from uh, from a grocer standpoint. Uh, I think the value proposition from the consumer standpoint wouldn't position grocers as the natural place where 15 and 20 uh, minute would uh, really dominate uh, because there are other channels consumers would think of or associate more uh, quickly than grocery. Uh, with that being said, uh, I think there is a narrative out there today around delivery with this focus on speed, delivering faster. And we consider that uh, acceleration. And you know, our guidance to conventional grocers is acceleration is a misplaced uh, focus for conventional grocers based on a misunderstanding for how households shop for groceries. Um, and that our orientation would be focused more on precision as opposed to acceleration, meaning instead of offering delivery within one hour, Focus on being able to shrink your delivery window from one hour, whether it was between three and five today or three and five tomorrow to 30 minutes, right? Because that precision reduces the degree of uncertainty and increases the level of control from the customer standpoint. And that's important if you really want to look at the acceptability, because at the end of the day, anyone who uses delivery who has those age-restricted, temperature-sensitive products knows 
um, one of the reasons why they may go for faster delivery is to reduce the uncertainty of having to wait for three hours uh, over a three hour window. So within one hour isn't necessarily what they're looking for. What they're really looking for is a shorter uh, waiting period by which they can get on with their lives. It's definitely an interesting point to make there, right? I'm not sure, to your point, you know, I'm not sure a consumer really cares if they have to wait until three o'clock in the afternoon to get their order as long as it's going to be there between three and 3.15, kind of the old, you know, uh, TV repair guy coming in, you know, cable guy coming in, right? And giving you that six hour window and you're stuck all day. So I guess your point is that they're really looking for targeted delivery, maybe not rapid delivery. Yeah. So, so the easiest way to contextualize this for people, because we're in the innovator's dilemma, this doesn't really exist for the most part in the U.S. There are examples outside, but you could look at giving re, uh, customers the option of, do you want your delivery within one hour and charge a premium for that versus would you like it tomorrow and delivered within a 15 or 30 minute window and charge the same premium? Our, the, our hypothesis would be people would... Uh, select the latter more than the former. Because if you're buying 30 or 40 or 50 items in a big basket, you're not going to go home and right when you get it, eat them all, right? Maybe when you're doing rapid delivery and you want your chips in a six pack, that's exactly what you want. That's immediate consumption. But most of the grocery orders are larger uh, ticket uh, transactions involving a much larger range of items for a broader period. So it tends to be less impulse oriented. So the consumption generally is not immediate orientation. And as a result, if they were given the choice, and that's what we don't have today, is the choice in the US, that consumers will be able to vote with their dollars. There are examples that are starting to surface and grow in the US. There are examples internationally where we see this. It is a path to improving profitability. There's still challenges with it. Um, when someone figures it out, then you know we're going to have a lot of fast followers. We, I think, are at the very early stages of just seeing this play out in the U.S. But what is clear is if customers had to choose between speed and fees, they're going to take a slower speed for lower fee, right? And they're not willing to pay exorbitantly higher fees for faster speed. And that's what's necessary to make the economics work for rapid delivery. It'd be very interesting to watch it as it develops. And I know we're at the start of 2022 here, so I'm not going to ask you to tell the future, but I'm wondering this year, what kind of storylines are you looking at for this space? You know, is there any kind of, uh, you know, emerging kind of battlefield in the delivery slash pickup space that you're looking at? Maybe a region, maybe a trend, anything that you think that is going to make an impact this year later on? Well, I think thematically we would look at 2022, similar to 21, which is uh, we'll see ongoing reconciliation of strategies with realities. Uh, retailers retesting their assumptions and refining their strategies based on a better understanding of who their customers are and how their customers shop and where they shop and what they look for when they do make those choices and providing a more uh, tailored level of services that can better serve a broader market while staying within the core value proposition that they're known, right? That would be the primary thing. I think you know, going forward, it's um, really testing the discipline of retailers and their strategies so that they're not distracted by some of these fads that may not be 
uh, on point relative to conventional grocery strategies. Rapid delivery is an example of that. It really is not encroaching on the traditional conventional grocers' uh, core proposition online. So as retailers start to look at, well, how do we start to get a piece of that pie? And we're seeing that with some of the third parties offering now grocery delivery within 30 minutes. We start to see some dilution of the value proposition because naturally you have to offer a curated assortment that's not as broad as what you offer elsewhere in order to deliver that within 30 minutes. But what then you realize is, well, now we're actually motivating lower average order values and we're creating other issues relative to actually executing that strategy because those lower, lower average order values are really important for grocers to understand because that affects the payouts to the gig worker. And gig workers are increasingly becoming more and more um, sophisticated and organized in the social uh, media networks in terms of practices, in terms of how and what to take and when not to take things. So there's an incredible amount of learning going on between new and older gig workers relative to these practices to try to figure out, hey, how do you maximize your opportunity so you get as much money as you can? Grocers need to recognize that as they move to these things, there are unintended consequences that really they should be aware of, um, that they're not, um, that would tell us whether this is something that's a good fit or not for our business. And David, I think we're coming up to the end of our time here today. I think you really shared a lot of excellent insights today. But the one last question I'd like to ask is basically, if anyone wants to learn a little bit more about you, Brick Meets Click, where should they go? Well, first of all, they can go to brickmeetsclick.com. We have a, a lot of information there uh, covering the, the range of uh, research that we've been doing for the uh, uh, through the years. Uh, they could reach out to me via email at david.bishop at brickmeetsclick.com. Um, they can also either follow me or connect with me on LinkedIn. All right. We'll actually definitely share all the links to those uh, different items in the description of this episode. But like I said, I really want to thank you, David. You know, the insights are really important. I think it's definitely an interesting topic and there's still a lot of confusion to your point. You know, we still got a lot of things developing in this sector. So I know the Food Institute is going to be taking a look at it and really looking forward to partnering with Brick Meats Click going forward to kind of keep our tabs on the, uh, the growing pickup and just online grocery space in general. So thanks again. Oh, you're welcome, Chris. Thank you for having me. All right. That's going to do it for us this week on the Food Institute podcast. Just want to remind you to follow, like, and share, and we'll catch you next time. This is Chris Campbell signing off. Mm-hmm.